I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say, where we talk to poets about the poems they make and the poems they love. Poetry springs forth from authentic human voice. Poetry is about anarchy. It's about mystery. It's about dreams. It's about you know the unknown. Writing is a way of saying that you and the world have a chance. This is Diane Seuss and my poem, Song in My Heart, which I'll read. If there's pee on the seat, it's my pee. Batteries dead, I killed it. Canary at the bottom of the cage, I bury it. Like God tromping the sky in his undershirt, carrying his brass spittoon, Raging and sobbing in his hush puppy house slippers with the backs broke down. No Mrs. God to make him reasonable as he gets out the straight razor to slice the hair off his face. Using the black sea as a mirror when everyone knows the black sea is a terrible mirror. Like God is a terrible simile for me. But like God with his mirror, I use it. Thank you so much. That is, I, I just adore this poem, and I adored your reading of it. <laughs> I'm glad. It's so specific, and yet it's so, it goes so far. Can you tell me a little bit about how this poem came to be? Yeah, I can. Um, this is unabashedly a post-divorce poem in which I don't mention the word divorce, But this is an example, I think, of a poem where I needed to push my courage out in front of me like a slug pushes slime out in front of it so it can move. Um, So I had to sort of create this audacious voice and make this audacious claim as a way of emboldening myself to live Knowing that, I love the just kind of changes and makes the first line, which is already so charming. You know, who could stop reading this poem? If there's pee on the seat, it's my pee. It's so already so wonderful. But it's if knowing that it's a post-divorce poem, it's like, you know, because men are so famous for leaving pee on the seat, sort of this reclaiming of this is my space now. And it's also like my responsibility. Like this is not just my domain, but now I'm also responsible for all of it. And I love that. Yes, and I'm responsible for my heart, um, the, the song in my heart. Yeah, I'm, most of my poems begin with a single line. So I'm sure um, the line that came into my head was, well, here I am. If there's pee on the seat, at least it's my pee, you know. And I lived with that, walked around with it. A lot of times I... I walk around with a line or two in my head as I'm walking my dog or whatever. And and so then I kind of follow the logic of that line. If there's pee on the seat, it's my pee. Okay, what else? Battery's dead. I killed it. So even when things go wrong, it's my power that did it. Mm-hmm. Canary at the bottom of the cage, I bury it. Um you know, I'll, I'll take the dead, I'll put them away. And, and then that simile walked in, like God tromping the sky in his undershirt. 
I mean, you know, as I read this poem, every single image, um, I can, I know exactly where it comes from. Like the God tromping the sky in his undershirt is my, my father's father, <laughs> who was kind of a messy alcoholic and pretty mean. And, um, you know, I, this is a this is a poem this is probably the poem in which i made this sort of hilarious act of self reclamation through poetry that actually really worked um it worked in, in life sometimes poems work on the page but they don't change much for you in life but this one really did and i know exactly every move in this poem I know exactly where it comes from. You're such a master of image. <laughs> I mean, you're such a master of sort of the specific image that is at once perhaps unfamiliar, but because it's rendered so specifically and so well that it just it can't help but sort of embed itself. I so admire that about your poems. I wonder, like, if you could tell me a little bit about what initially drew you to writing poetry? Like, when did you start? Were you sort of a born poet? Did you re write poetry as a child? Or did you come to it later? Was there something that brought you to turn and face poetry in that way? Or It's interesting you ask that right now, because I'm working on a sonnet about that very question. But I definitely was something that I was drawn to as a child. Uh, I loved reading nursery rhymes and sort of competing with reading and with the music of, of language was really hard thing going on in, in our lives, which was my father was ill and then died when I was seven. And um, at that very moment, my mom who'd not gotten to go to college, decided to go to college and became an English major. And so all these books came into the house that I wasn't ready for, but I saw their titles. And one title I remember was Modern Poetry. Um, so I always had a, a feel for language in a way I never did for anything else, like numbers. Mm -hmm. And I remember even in first grade, um, we were asked to write a poem for a card for our mothers for Mother's Day. And that just came absolutely easily to me. Um, and I, I wrote it and it rhymed and it had meter and, it, you know, it was a silly little poem, but... I could feel just the ease of making language sing that way. And uh, then in high school, we had to take typing. And this was pre-computer, so I'm old. I took typing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the girls were forced to take typing mm, and home mm. ec. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know. Um and uh, typing somehow freed something in me. And I spent a lot of time in the typing class just racing away um, and spilling on the page. Gregory Orr, the poet, says the first stage of poetry is the spill. 
And I think that's what I was doing in high school. So, yes, it just, I think poetry came to me before I really even knew what it was, before I had read much of anything beyond nursery rhymes and fairy tales. But those happened to be really good instructors. And I needed it. I needed it. Um, I think part of what makes people become writers is that combination of maybe some proclivity for language and then the intensity of need. Right. I love that you have such a specific memory of writing that poem for your mom and sort of, you know, whatever it was, just sort of understanding in that moment as a child, like, oh, I, I this is something that I have... Uh, proclivity for or a talent for or that comes easily to me or a passion for and then sort of also coming to realize as you get older like oh not everybody feels that way about language (laughs) not everyone doesn't come as easily to other people or it doesn't do the same thing for other people where I think a lot of people are you know sort of frightened of poetry or or they're just sort of not aware enough about it to have a, a a realistic sort of view of how useful and wonderful it can be. So I wonder if, I know that in interviews, poets often get asked the question, you know, do you have any advice for beginning writers? But my question for you would be like, do you have any advice? What would you say to someone who is like beginning their journey in reading poetry? That's a really good question. You know, some poetry uh, now, maybe especially, can feel really hard to get a hold of. I would say to look through books, you know, go to a bookstore or library and look at books of contemporary poetry or even an anthology, which is helpful, and just see who speaks to you and realize it's not some code or equation that's above your head. If it feels that way, move on and find somebody who doesn't feel outside of your realm and work your way in that way. You know, there are a lot of poets who are still writing sort of with a degree of concreteness and connection to the real world. (laughs) I hope I am one of them. Um, And then, you know, as you read and as you kind of see, there's a huge landscape now of contemporary poetry. Maybe you'll also decide, oh, I've read enough. I want to try something that's outside my comfort zone and read something strange and, and see what I can do with that. But I would urge people not to feel intimidated by poetry. It's still language you've been, whoever you are, you've been using language most of your life. Just walk into it with an open mind and and see how it can speak to you. Don't give up too easily either. Like anything else, like uh, any art, for instance, art that isn't figurative but is has you know, abstraction is its mode. Um, some people sort of look at it and say, eh, you know, it's it, it looks like a scrawl. I'm moving on. Well, really, really study that painting or poem and know that you're up to the task. I guess that's what I'd say. And for you, with the poems that you love the most, and I know that you have one to share with us, what is it, like, What is what is it to you that you kind of, 
go to poetry for or what is it that poetry does for like what is your favorite experience you know with a poem if if i'm i'm asking this question in many different ways <laughs> yeah i love i love the question and and i feel like i have like many different answers because sometimes i want to say you know the bottom line is just how the poem uses language and sometimes that alone thrills me other times, you know, I want some wisdom. I'm kind of one of those people who doesn't tend to want to go to poems for wisdom, but now and then um, I like a poem that tells me something about how to live. And then sometimes I love a poem for its sort of thrilling weirdness you know, from Emily Dickinson, who who was thrillingly weird. She's probably my fa favorite poet. I learned to really, you know, struggle through because she's not easy. You know, she's often taught as sort of the garden poet or whatever, but not at all. And she's as difficult as anybody I read. But what I've learned through teaching her is that you just have to slow down and and parse it out and take her word by word. So sometimes I love doing that, and other times I love just being entertained. So I guess I go to poetry, I want to say, for everything. And um, as with food or anything else, you know, sometimes I'm in the mood for a grilled cheese and sometimes in the mood for something else. So just depends on what I need in a given moment. I love, I guess I'd say I love poems that really go to the edge, that um, speak from a threshold and from a degree of suffering. I trust people who suffer, who have suffered, and I trust poets who write from that space, who've lived to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was first introduced to this book of poems by Tony Hoagland, the poet, taught your poem, Let's yes. Meet Somewhere Outside Time and Space, in his uh, workshop for teachers, I think maybe especially high school teachers yes. and you know, teaching poetry. And I don't know that he he has this phrase, um, or this he calls it thingitude, you know, like the thing of the poem, yes. the things in the poem, <laughs> the concrete things in the poem. And I, I'm looking at the poem now, Let's Meet Somewhere Outside of Space and Time, and I was thinking, oh, he must have been pointing out thingitude in this poem. And then I thought, no, this is a poem that he was where he was teaching people about syntax, because this poem is one sentence long. It is just... Let's meet somewhere outside space and time, and it's clause after glorious clause, and it builds, and it it does speak from that threshold, and it I admire that poem as well because it does exactly sort of what you're saying. It it reaches, you know. Yes, and it's really I think it's it's attempting to do what poems often attempt, which is how do I describe this in betweenness this between this and thatness, which is really the place where the magic is. And we'll never fully be able to get at it, but I think poetry is the attempt to get at it. You know, in a way, it's like Icarus. We're always failing, but um, 
actually there's a poem by Alice Anderson, which is just, it's called What the Night is Like, and, and it's just filled with similes. And it's a couple pages long at least, and the last line is, it's like that, almost. Mm-hmm. Which just to me is wonderful, astute, and devastating. So yeah, I think that poem is really, the energy of it is generated by trying to get at it, trying to um, get at this between space, this margin where we can meet, where we can connect. Yeah, the line that I love is the, um, I mean, I love all of them, but the, where, the, where fake fingernail meets real that space. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so it's yep. such a perfect articulation of that. Just delineating all these margins. Mm-hmm. And for those people who want to try writing, you know, sometimes a prompt for yourself can be that simple. Mm-hmm. Like, so let's meet somewhere outside time and space where this meets that, mm-hmm. where this meets that. And just Think about all the places something meets something else, something concrete. And in that line, where the fake fingernail meets the real. Um, So, you know, sometimes it's kind of like we were taught to write a a thesis statement and then prove it, you know, in essays. Oh, poems function a bit that way. Um, You know, the you pose a hypothesis and then you have to live with it and prove it in language. Yes. And so often in poetry, it's like the experience of the poem itself is you're with there with the poet answering it, you know, that you're not in an essay. Maybe you sort of have argued with yourself beforehand and come to a conclusion. But in a poem, it's like you're there with the poet as they're arguing with themselves about it or as they're proving it. You yes. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, my producer, Rebecca, has one question for you about uh, Song in My Heart. And then I was hoping we could end with you sharing the poem that you have to share. So here's Rebecca. Hi, Diane. Uh, just a quick question. Um, if you wanted to talk about this or not, it- it's totally up to you. But, you know, your poem at the beginning kind of gave me a sense that you found an independence or this selfhood that you didn't know after your divorce. Like, was that something that you were cognizant of? Like, oh, there's a responsibility in me as just this indep- as this person that was different than you had even before you got married? Oh, definitely. I mean, I had a mother who was pretty independent, and I was mostly raised by her as a single mother. So I had a lot of, I had her as a model and other women as models, strong women. Um, and I th- I thought of myself as a, a strong, independent person, even when I went into the marriage. But little did I know what it was going to take after, because um, my ex-husband just sort of walked away from us. I had a a young son who was very devastated by that. And I had financial challenges because of that. And I felt emotionally like I was two years old. Um, So I really had to claw my way back and forward, I guess, to a self that was much 
more fierce, strong than I'd ever thought I would need to be. Yeah, I have a lot I could say about this, but I don't want to go on and on. But um, yes, and and poetry, writing was so important to my finding a way to create that self. I think of it as a, a creation, not as sort of um, something that was always there that I had to discover, but an act of self-creation that was just crucial to my survival and my son's survival. There was a part of me that I mean, if it was if it had just been me, I don't know how I would have gone on. But sometimes you have to. You have to find a way to go on for somebody else's sake. And so I made myself anew in poetry. Well, Rebecca's in tears, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave her there. <laughs> um, can you... Tell me what poem you brought to sort of share with the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's perfect to come at this moment. Um, this is a poem by Lucille Clifton, and it's called Won't You Celebrate With Me? <laughs> and it's a, it's a kind of familiar poem to those in the poetry world, but I think to your listeners, some of whom may not have read a lot of poetry, um, I hope it will be one that lasts for them. And it sure has helped me. It's crucial, and it's exactly what I was just talking about. This is Won't You Celebrate With Me, poem by Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Thank you so much. That is such a gorgeous poem. You read it so perfectly. Thank you so much. Oh, good. I could just hear her reading it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, um, Diane, thank you so much for your time and your voice. Thank you. This has been great. And thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for coming on. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. You can find Diane Seuss's poem, Song in My Heart, in her collection, Wolf Lake, White Gown, Blown Open. This Is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. For KUT, I'm Carrie Fountain. Thanks for listening.